0: Hey guys, good evening. Todd Sachs of Sachs Realty. I'm the real estate broker and founder here at Sachs Realty and welcome to our fourth episode of Tuesday Night Live. Hopefully, you're going to have at least one of these in your lifetime. So, sellers listen up and buyers beware. Tonight we're talking about the home inspection. I have with me tonight Tim Shelton. He's with US Inspect. Tim is Executive Vice President of US Inspect and they're a very large inspection company and tonight We're covering the start to finish of the home inspection. We're going to talk about the 10 big things that you should really be paying attention to, and um, as well as sellers, how do you get your place ready to have a magnifying glass taken all around the outside and inside of your home, the place that you've lived. And uh, sometimes the sellers, they don't like that very much. They get really nervous about that. And uh, we're going to make this whole process easy for you tonight. So let's jump right in because we have a lot to cover. Let's meet Tim Shelton. Tim, welcome.
1: Hi Todd, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on your show and love being part of the conversation. I'm excited
0: to have you here. So uh, tell everybody a little bit about you.
1: So as Todd said, my name's Tim Shelton. I'm the Executive Vice President of US Inspect, which is a national home inspection company. Uh, I also do inspections, so I get to live uh, every day as a, a home inspector would live. And I have the benefit of making some wonderful decisions to help you know, our organization grow uh, collectively and become better every day. So it's uh, it's awesome to be here and uh, you know, be a part of your show. And again, thank you very much for having me. Well, again,
0: thank you. And uh, you're very qualified to talk about this topic. So you've been a home contractor, right?
1: Yeah, I've been a home inspector for 15. Yep, I've been a home inspector for 15 years. And prior to my home inspection career, I was uh, a superintendent with a big box builder uh, locally here, and built hundreds of homes in the uh, P.G. County and uh, Southern Maryland areas. Uh, I also uh, I give my credit to the start of my desire to be in construction to my parents, who were the ultimate hairy homeowners and. You know, my father lived by the rule: if it was broke, he was fixing it, and he wasn't having a stranger come into his house. So we learned together a lot of things, and you know, that's where my whole uh, desire to do this started. That's awesome. So, what is a home inspection? So, by definition, a home inspection is a visual, non-invasive evaluation of a home. Uh, what that means in layman's terms, it's a physical. It's no different than having a uh, your annual physical by your primary care physician home inspector's job is to assess the property as it stands that day. And I think there's a misconception on what the responsibility is as a home inspector, when the reality is we're there to take a very small snapshot in time of hopefully a property that'll be standing for two or 300 years.
0: Yeah, That's a a great way to look at it. It is a snapshot in time. uh, And there are a lot of different inspections. Obviously, tonight we're going to talk about the uh, the buyer's home inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, I know on your website, you guys have a whole bunch of different inspections and you guys are really coast to coast. Um, and so we're, we're not just talking about Maryland real estate here. Uh, this really applies. Uh, we're hoping that if you're buying a home, uh, that you're getting a home inspection and, uh, and that you're uh, represented by a great agent, a realtor, and that they are pointing you in the right direction. But let's talk about what makes a uh, qualified inspector.
1: Well, it's different in states. Uh, Maryland specifically, there's a uh, requirement for online or uh, classroom studies. You have to take a 72-hour course, and then you have to pass a national exam, which has been put together by professionals in our industry. But if I go to Virginia, I have to take an 80-hour course and do 25 ride-alongs with a qualified inspector, plus take the, pass the national exam. But then that's different in, in New Jersey that requires even more ride alongs and more online studies and in classroom studies. So it really differs from area to area, but the consistent um, the, the consistent part of it is there's always a requirement to, to study and pass the national exam and belong to uh, a national association. That's a part of our industry.
0: So, Tim, you know, I have to ask as a real estate broker and uh, and also an agent that uh, represents buyers and sellers in this home buying and selling process. um, Shouldn't they have to have more experience than just a, you know, 80 hour course? I mean, should should somebody, you know, selecting a a home inspector for their client, um, an agent or the buyer, shouldn't they make sure that they have some kind of
1: construction background? I would say yes to that, but times are changing. Um, you know, when I started as an inspector, it was a requirement to have a background in construction, engineering, or in the architect field. You couldn't get in the business without it. But over the last 10 years, you know, with the internet and the development of online training, and you know, I think as a society, we've just gotten smarter as a whole. I have all sorts of people on, you know, our team that with different backgrounds from you know, ministers to former teachers, firefighters, uh, lawyers, doctors, uh, you name it. It's amazing how, how diverse our industry has become with, with backgrounds. Does it help to have a background? Sure. But if you're willing to learn, I, I truly believe that anyone can be taught how to become a home inspector if they give it the time and the education, not only on the front end, but also the back end, uh, of your career. Sure. So, um, just so everybody
0: watching, I mean, we uh, have an audience of professionals that know this stuff. But for those of you that don't, um, the buyer typically pays for the home inspection. And um, go ahead, Tim,
1: about 80% of the time. That's accurate. Yeah,
0: yeah without getting and we'll talk much later about whether sellers should get in the pre inspections mm-hmm. and things like that. But primarily what we deal with on a day to day basis is the buyer hiring an inspector or electing to have somebody that they choose come through and really do this physical, as you said. Um, so what are the costs? Let's talk about I mean, you guys know, the whole gamut from you know the east to west coast. So mm-hmm. give us an average of what an average home inspection costs.
1: I would say it's somewhere between $375 and $425 for the primary service of a home inspection. Most home inspectors have ancillary products such as radon and termite and mold that drive up the price. But on average, a home inspection is going to be around that $400 mark.
0: Yeah. And and that certainly, I mean, if you have a well or you have septic systems and things like that, I mean, obviously there's costs that are involved with that. Um, So how long does the process typically take? Uh, so a $400 home inspection, um, you know, is this a four or five hour process?
1: No, uh, typically the inspection itself would take about two and a half to three hours. Uh, and depending on, you know, the contractor that you use, there could be a delay in the report delivery or you know, most inspectors now will get you your report within a, you know, a 24 hour time period of, of the inspection process. Knowing that we're in a time crunch with the contingencies uh, in the real estate world. Yeah, and and I want to say
0: one thing before we go any further about U.S. inspect, and that's a plug for you or your company, but um, uh, years ago, uh, I used a guy, and and we've had a conversation about this. His name was Art Ike. He's passed mm-hmm. on. Uh, he passed away um, a couple of years ago. But anyway, he, I used to you know refer him all the time, and you guys were like the most tech company back in the day. I remember that art would come to the house with his laptop and his portable computer. And this is right. like almost 20 years ago. Right. So you guys, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add that I, you know, it was kind of neat that um, you, so us Inspect's been around for a while. So what I want to talk about now, you know, obviously as a, as a broker, we know the deal killers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, personally, I have some issues with, you know, you say that you train people well and all that good stuff and that the teacher or the, you know, firefighter can be a home inspector. I have my own opinions on that as a builder myself, mm-hmm. swinging a hammer back in 1989. I yep. started my business. Uh, I've built houses, rehab houses have been commercial contractor forever. And, um, you know, so I take it a little different, you know, when I look at somebody saying that this or that, but the bottom line is we all rec in the industry you should be recommending that somebody gets a home inspection you know a couple of reasons is number one that buyer that is walking through that home that they're looking at you know buying number one they're not comfortable when they're first looking at home because a lot of times other people live there and it's hard for them to relax and look very you know objectively they may not have ever owned a home before so they don't know what to look for Mm -hmm. Um, but when The home inspector gets there. This is something that they do all the time. And they kind of settle in and really calm that buyer down and really should act as someone that is aiding um, that buyer through the introduction to that home that they're purchasing. And uh, so kind of take us through the step of what happens when the home inspector shows up
1: so one of the things that you mentioned was the term deal killer and that is a very popular term in our industry and it's you know dedicated to the inspector who is overly zealous with the communication to the problems Um, and i think a lot of that starts at the beginning of the inspection with what we call our driveway pitches, which when our inspectors are setting the expectation of what a home inspection is and going through the standards of practice and you know a five or 10 minute window with the the client to have an understanding of what their responsibilities are and their limitations. Because unfortunately, as much as I would love X-ray vision, I don't have it and I can't see inside the walls. So I have to allow my spidey senses so to speak to lead my way on how I approach Certain um, defects that we come across, and a lot of uh, I think that the term "deal killer" is um, about the misleading information that might be provided. A home inspector's job is simply to point it out. It's black and white. It's there. It's right or it's wrong. It's not to go into the reasoning for the defect. Um, As I said earlier, it's a it's a physical. And if you go if you go to have a physical by your doctor, and you have a Irregular heartbeat, you're going to see a heart specialist. And it's the same concept applies uh, to the home inspection side of things. Now, you know, you made a comment earlier about a background being important. And that's where I think the difference comes in is uh, the ability to maybe go a little bit deeper and beyond the scope of what we're there to do to explain why uh, this situation is occurring, not just point it out. You know, you have a foundation crack because your gutters are leaking. Well, a lot of people don't look at it that way. They look at it as a foundation crack, not understanding that leaking gutters lead to expansive soil, which leads to pressure on the foundation. So, you know, a home inspector is, you know, I used the example earlier, a, a, um, a primary care physician, but the other example I love to use is a crime scene investigator. Our job is to put the pieces together to find what that crime is. And, you know, a hair can lead to damaged, you know, stringers on stairs, things to that extent. So, um, you know, it's about education. It's about setting the expectation. It's about making sure your client has a full understanding of the process. And, you know, the real estate professional can help us in in a way of, um, you know, setting that expectation before we're ever met. Um, You know, first time homebuyer seminars are a great way to to to, you know, get that information out to set the expectation. So it's about the communication. I mean, 90 percent of what we do is communicate, introduce the home. It's not only, hey, this is wrong with it, but it's also a lot of the good. And hey, you you have a roof that's two years old. So as long as you do the maintenance, you're good. You should be good for another 20 years Um, and really having an understanding, a deep understanding of of allowing the facts to lead you to the solutions to the problems.
0: So let's talk about the top 10. So obviously, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we only have an hour to go over this stuff. And, you know, let's talk about the big items. So, you know, I'd like to start off with, you know, like the heating and air system, which, you know, in this industry, we call HVAC, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So what what I'd like for you to do, Tim, is kind of You know, just give us an overview of what you're looking for. What Mm -hmm. a buyer should be, you know, aware of uh, with each one of these top ten, you know, big items, and um, and really what you see uh, most of the time with these top ten. So let's start out with
1: the heating and air system. So I'm gonna first start off by saying a lot of there's a lot of things that go into this age of components, uh, locations of uh, of where you are in the country. Um, the builders that occurred, so it's it a lot of a lot of our decision making on how we approach our job is based off of you know experience and facts from other inspectors, and and that's the great part about this industry is learning from everyone else. But from a HVAC stand- C standpoint, you're looking obviously uh, cleanliness, efficiency. Uh, to the system, if I open a, a furnace cover and there's a fungal growth inside of it, that's going to trigger me to believe it hasn't been serviced in quite some time. And you know, if you're a homeowner, you should service your HVAC components annually. Um, a- another large factor with the HVACs is the distribution. Uh, you know, if you're dealing with a water boiler radiator, for instance, uh, air is one of the biggest problems. The radiators fill up with air; they don't heat completely, which limits the um, Efficiency of the system uh, in a ductwork uh, in a forced air system. You have ductwork that supplies registers, and you know uh, in the eighties there was ductwork that was manufactured that has a um, a deficiency in the vapor barrier, where they placed this flexible material in an attic, thinking that uh, this plastic was going to protect it from heat, and the plastic failed in the heat. Um, in certain areas where we live here in Maryland, uh, subgrade subgrade ductwork has been known to have uh, environmental contaminants, such as asbestos, uh, as part of the, of the insulation. So the primary goal here is to make sure that the distribution uh, and the efficiency of the system is operating as the way the manufacturer designed it, uh, and maintenance is the key to that whole thing. Um Electrical is another big issue that we come across. Uh, again, in the 70s, we know there were multiple manufacturers that made electrical panels that were deficient and don't work. So it's about again, that's where the education side come in to know those products, and then you deal with you know houses built in the 70s that may have single strand aluminum wiring because of you know at the time the war was consuming all the copper for the equipment for what was going on uh, overseas. Um, Most common in the electrical, I would probably say is open grounded outlets or improper use of uh, GFCI uh, protection devices. Um, And nowadays, a lot of it is involved with uh, smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors because of the recent changes to our regulations uh, in the industry. Um, How how do you deal
0: with uh, what appears to be, you know, homeowner electrical work? So, you know, uh, maybe you know, things that were are wired incorrectly or, mm-hmm. you know, things that, I mean, when you're dealing with outlets that don't work and things like that. So, you know, are you
1: checking every single outlet in the house? No, it's, you know, in a vacant house, I would say, yes, we're going to put our hands on everything we can put our hands on. But in a house that's occupied, I'm not allowed to move furniture. I'm not allowed to, you know, open up, blinds and drapery if it's closed uh, to certain extents Uh, I have limitations so we try to do a a sample amount uh, that's relevant to the property so if I walk into a room and there's you know two or three visible outlets but I know there's six in the room I'm going to hit those three visible outlets I'm going to do the top and bottom uh, fixture to make sure that they're wired correctly in both ways Uh, if I come across a defect again it's going to be a recommendation to a qualified contractor to make the repair Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, hairy homeowner uh, electrical fixtures, they don't bother me if they're done properly. Um, I've known plenty of hairy homeowners that were smarter than I am. And I go to their home and I look, you know, they invite me over. They ask me to look at their work to make sure it's done correctly. And there's no issues with it. You know, and the same rule applies with uh, a property that may have been renovated where permits weren't pulled. Um, you know, another big item that we deal with is plumbing. Uh, obviously, the major components in a house. So again, in the 70s and 80s, up into the early 90s, you had products that have recalls on them, such as polybutylene. Um, but you know, for the most part in the plumbing world, it's leaks. It's uh, self-sealed leaks due to failure to improperly installed, um, you know, glued uh, plastic products or just pinhole leaks in, in copper products due to acidity in the water. Um, failed uh, water heaters uh, that aren't heating properly or people that have their water heater turned up too high and a scolding, uh, safety concern for a child may exist. So um, with
0: a water heater, you know, the average is what, seven years, seven,
1: ten to 10 years, seven to 10 years, typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, that varies and differs if you're on a well system, because if the well water has high or low pH balance, it can wear out the, uh, the, the interior components to that system much quicker.
0: So when you're telling, uh, people that they're water heaters, it, you know, that towards end of life. I mean, how do you guys handle stuff like that? I mean, do you recommend that they replace it right away? I mean, what what are you telling people when they have a 10 year old water heater?
1: I like to use the term grandma's old and we don't throw her away. Uh, Just because it's old doesn't mean it doesn't work. I I think the oldest water heater I saw in operation was over 40 years old. Good old Montgomery Ward's water heater. Uh, So, you know, we don't make things like we used to, However, maintenance and the understanding of how to extend the life expectancy of that water heater, such as draining it annually to get the sediment out, is a big conversation piece during a home inspection. Um, so you're telling people to drain their water heater every single year. You should drain your water heater annually, and you know there's an argument in the plumbing world where you know what if the valve goes bad because you know we don't operate valves in in a home inspection. It's it, it's part of the standards of practice well i would much rather have to replace a valve once a year than a water heater every three or four years Um, the cost is significantly different uh, between the two and it's just part of um, you know part of the maintenance on a home that a lot of people aren't aware of Um, another large factor uh, is roofing material and you know the biggest common defects that we come across are usually related to ventilation or improper ventilation to the attic which drives up Temperatures in the attic, which cooks the asphalt or rubber materials quicker than they're supposed to. Um, installation uh, of the material uh, being done improperly. Uh, the, the use of uh, the improper starter courses or drip edge flashing, which is a requirement and in, in installs for roof now. We come across that stuff all the time not being uh, you know, the way the manufacturer recommends it. And that's how a home inspector thinks. We don't, we're not there to look at the code side of the world. Although most home inspectors know code, we're look at we're there to look at the manufacturer recommendations to their product to make sure their product was installed and being used properly. Um, you know, that's with, a great point. Which a lot yeah. of
0: times the building inspectors at the county level they're not looking at that, right? Right. Correct. I mean, they yeah. they want to make sure that the framing is passed inspection or that you know all the you know big components meet code, but they have. No right. clue as the manufacturer recommendation, so that's interesting. Uh, yeah, and one. that's
1: that's a part of the 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 education on the back end of, of the home inspection uh, license. You know, once you get it, you have to continue to do education. We're required to do a minimum of fifteen hours annually, and that has to be in a classroom setting. And that's more than we do, and
0: right. you know, as a real estate licensee, I like that. I, I like fifteen hours every year.
1: Yeah, it's just part of staying up with the changing technology. You know, uh, now we have houses that you can talk to the toilet and make it flush. You know, that wasn't around 10 years ago when art was right. Smart toilets. That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How about toilets? I mean, I hear all all the time about them being loose. And I mean, do the bolts, is that a problem a lot of the times with
1: the, you know, uh, bolts that bolt down the actual toilet to the floor? well most toilets that are loose weren't installed properly to begin with they were installed they weren't compressed down around the wax ring and the bolts weren't tightened properly so the first time somebody sits on it and that half inch compress into the wax ring occurs you have a loose toilet from day one and that's why it's so important to do the rock test as as we call it you stand over top of it and you rock it back and forth to make sure uh, that there's no significant movement There should you know, occasionally be some slight movement. You don't want it to be so tight to the floor, it cracks the tile or anything like that. But all in all, there's, you know, there's a certain resistance we want to feel as an inspector to make sure there's no potential moisture leaking below that toilet,
0: which could lead to rot, right? supplement rot,
1: rot yeah. you know, fungal growth, wood destroying insect infestation. I mean, moisture uh is probably the biggest problem in the house because it has so many calls to the effect on the back end of it you know foundation deterioration so on and so forth um, you know, radon, you know, I, I keep mentioning environmental concerns. Radon is becoming more and more popular. You know, I know Montgomery County is one of the first counties in in the United States to require it uh, as part of the real estate transaction, and that's because we're becoming more educated on the concerns behind radon.
0: You see lobbying for that everywhere in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, is do. radon, a, at least where basements are you know, prevalent, right? Where you have basement. That
1: Yes, but there are many slab on grade properties just in the Columbia area here in Maryland that we detect radon. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a pressure issue. It's a soil condition that that uh, we have. You know, the beauty of Maryland is we have it all. We have four seasons, actual seasons, and we have frosting and, and heaving that occurs. And that opens up so many potential channels for that radon gas to enter into your home. Um, that's why the EPA recommends testing every two years, regardless, uh, regardless if you have an operating system in your property or not. But I think the biggest, biggest misconception on radon, uh, is that radon gas is bad for you. Radon gas actually isn't bad for you. It's the, the decay products that the radon gas produces. That is what's harmful to the human body. Hmm. And those are metals and uh, radioactive materials such as plutonium and uranium, um, where do you find that, those where where are they uh, they're floating around in the air attached to the dust particles that you have in the house um, you know radon comes in two forms uh, what we call plated radon radon particles that are attached to your furniture to your walls that are no longer a uh, concern to you um, but it's unplated radon is what ends up you know, leading to the second cause of lung cancer in the United States and those particles attached to the dust that's floating around in your house and you breathe it in and then the alteration to the lung cell starts to occur.
0: So what they used to say about you only had to be concerned with radon in the basement, you're saying is not the case. And so you know, what we used to hear was geez, you know, like we're living in the basement full Mm -hmm. time, you know, like we work and things like that. It's not like we don't come out of the house. But you're saying it really is a, a hazard.
1: It is. Um, You know, when radon was first discovered, the heating systems in the house were fireplaces and boilers. And now that we have forced air systems, which are usually located in our basement with a return register, we're now taking those decay products and we're moving them around the house. And that's why having such a a good, efficient air filtration system in your house is so important to capture a lot of that decay product uh, that's floating around. Tim, would you say everyone should have a radon test? I would say yes, um, but you can go to you know the EPA.gov website, and they have a chart on the website of the concern areas uh, all over the country. You can actually see as a radon testing professional, we you know we have to send some of those results to the EPA so that they can create a tracking mechanism of where these uh, concern High areas levels. are found. Right, so. You know, the further south you go in Maryland, the less likely you are to have uh, a radon issue because radon, we know, comes from rock decay. And as we get closer to the Appalachians in western Maryland, that's where you see some of the largest. So actually had a, a, a radon test in um, Westminster 10 years ago that tested a 278 picocuries in a home. And it was a slab on grade house.
0: So give us so so that everybody understands. So give us what is tolerable or acceptable and what isn't. What's that? Threshold.
1: There's no acceptable level according to the EPA and what they base it off of is your annual exposure to radioactive material. So the EPA recommends that you live in a property with a, a radon level below 4.0 picocuries per liter. Um, and so, you know, in the, in the state of Maryland, the average is between two and six. Uh, in some locations. But again, if the further north you go, those averages can jump to 20 or 30 picocuries. And, you know, great for the building industry to to start to recognize that. You know, I was lucky enough, as you mentioned earlier, to be a a builder for many years before I started as an inspector. And I got to see the evolution of construction to include vapor barriers and Uh, systems to control radon entry into your house which started in the late 90s so most properties after the late 90s um, you have some type of protection however you can't control physics Um, you know we just had an earthquake a few years ago that created new fault lines and cracks in the soil that could deliver radon gas through pressure into your home do you know everyday changes um, so yes, everybody should have a radon test every two years. You can have a professional who's qualified to do it, or you can go to Lowe's and buy the $30 testing kit at Lowe's. And as long as you follow the directions properly, they're just as accurate as having somebody come into your property with a you know, an actual continuous monitor to do an inspection. And, and you're really
0: recommending mitigation, what, um, anything over four? Is that what 4.
1: you 4.0 is where they recommend. Now, right. if your house comes back at 3.9, we're going to recommend that you do another test. And when that test results come back in, we're going to take the average of the two and we're going to see where you lie at that point. And uh, just,
0: just so that this, because this is a big concern of yours and mm-hmm. anything that's a big concern of yours is a big, should be a big concern of really everybody um, that is, you know, uh, Living in a home, mm-hmm. um, how
1: do they mitigate that? So essentially, what they do is they put a depressurization system under the slab, and that can include tying into your existing sump pump if you have one, or what they'll do is core drill a hole through your concrete slab, dig a pit, fill it with wash gravel that's you know can filter the, the the gas through the soil, uh, put an open ended pipe uh, into the soil, and then run a pipe from the basement to what should be about a foot above the roof line either on the inside or outside of the house and then there's a depressurization fan that essentially sucks the radon contaminants from the lower level of the house and distributes it to the outside but there's more benefits to just installing a, a radon remediation system than just Clearing radon. Most properties that have a radon remediation system actually have lower moisture contents in their basement as well because of the the removal of the condensation below below grade. So there's multiple fi- benefits for having the twelve to fifteen hundred dollar system installed in your house. Yeah, So That was the next question about twelve
0: yeah. or fifteen hundred to have that installed. Great, and uh, we'll see. I mean, you're right. Montgomery County requires the sellers to provide that mm-hmm. radon test, and we'll probably see. More of it, I would uh, imagine
1: it's going to spread. I, I've heard yeah. Frederick and Carroll County have that discussions in litigation or in legislation right now.
0: Yeah, all right, let's talk about the next big one.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the, the scary four letter word we know is mold, and yes, you will not find many home inspectors that'll say that word because we're not legally allowed to, we have okay. to refer to it as potential fungal growth or potential mold growth is, unless there is an actual test that's going on right there at site, we can't say that word. That's a very, very bad word to a home inspector. So what we try to uh, obviously have people understand is that you wouldn't have a mold problem if you didn't have a moisture problem. So we want to figure out what the problem is that's turning into the mold before we attack the remediation side of the mold. Um, A home inspector, if they comes in and they take uh, a good home inspector will take moisture readings around the perimeter of the basement every four or five feet with their moisture meter. Uh, some home inspectors use thermal imaging as part of their uh, inspection process to detect moisture, which is you know, becoming more and more popular in our industry. Um, but you know, your reaction to mold in your property is going to be different than my reaction. So there is no action level for mold. You know, the way that mold is tested and determined to be. Uh, considered to be dangerous to a home is, is there more mold in the inside of the property than there is on the outside of the property? Because that's where the mold comes from. Every time I open the door, there's a pressure change and mold spores come flying in. It's, do they have the proper living conditions to grow and expand while they're in my house to allow for a a fungal problem in the lower level or in the attic, uh, you know, for that matter, because we find it in both sides, the top and bottom of the house. Two different concern levels from a, a health standpoint, um, but regardless, mold is living on the cellulose material and causing destruction, and that's why we want it out of the house, outside of the safety concerns associated with the children or people that are living in the property.
0: So, when you see where there's potential water penetration or moisture, do you automatically recommend that the buyer ask for a mold mold test?
1: No, not necessarily. You know, so a lot what are of the indicators that? Yeah, go ahead. So, what, well, what are the it, indications a,
0: that cause for that?
1: So, the the industry as a whole considers mold to be a problem when it's more than I believe it's ten square feet of mold. So, you know, a pretty large area of mold that's visible. Occasionally, we'll come into a property and find a speck here or speck there, and it's on the surface of uh, of drywall, maybe because something splattered on there, and the, the conditions were just you know humid enough during the summer to develop an issue. But from an action standpoint, when remediation comes in, it's a 10 square feet of visible mold in a property. Um, anything outside of that, I mean, you know, a crawl space. There's not a crawl space I've ever been into where I didn't find mold. Uh, it's a damp, wet rainforest, essentially, under your house that only people like me go into because you pay me to do it. And, um, you know, you in find and
0: work? at-, at do you find where it collects in the ductwork? I mean, I've Absolutely. seen where inspectors yeah. will take maybe the the uh, the register off and kind of put their hand up within yep. that ductwork and see what they feel or what they can see. Is that a good collecting
1: spot for it? Absolutely. I you know perfect example. I just had one of those situations happen two weeks ago to me. Uh, I was down in Southern Maryland, a house on a crawl space where they had put their uh, HVAC system in the crawl space to save space in the living part um a lot of moisture in the lower level visible fungal growth throughout the entire crawl space i pulled the uh the cover of the furnace off visible mold inside there i went around the house and even on the second level of the house when i removed the registers there was visible growth inside the registers because that's a damp wet dark location which is perfect you know growth area for fungus now is that like the worst case scenario because now it's
0: carrying it through the entire
1: home That's exactly right. You know, same same scenario that I applied to the the radon conversation is you have this system now which is delivering mold spores around the property to the baby's room to your room while you sleep, uh, which obviously under the right moisture conditions, you know, 55% relative humidity can stay there and, and, and flourish uh, in your carpet, you know, in your drywall on your back of your dresser it, mold doesn't have a preferred place to live it attaches to wherever it's most convenient and you can also get
0: a mold a typical or standard mold test kit at the
1: yeah but those in most cases yeah in most cases those are direct sample kits where you're taking a swab off a wall um you know a good mold test is going to include an air quality test which is a machine that essentially you know we call it sniff and grab It's pulling in air through a pump system attaching any potential particles to a, a, a laminate you know piece of material that is then sent to the lab and put under conditions to to cure and let it grow so they can determine you know what type of mold it is from penicillin to yeah, you name it. I mean, it's it's it's. There's I think the thousand, bad stuff. Yeah, right? a thousand yeah. different types of mold out there, and five hundred are good for you, and five hundred are bad for you.
0: Well, it sounds like uh, besides radon, everybody should have a mold test. I mean, I'm <laughs> certainly man. I'm gonna be uh, you know <laughs> talking to you shortly after this, man. We're gonna be ordering up some tests for the the old house. Um, All right, so let's move along. Let's talk about you know. So as a contractor, you know, the next one's termites, right? Uh, So I always say there's three types of homes, right? There's houses that um, have termites, houses that had termites and houses that will have termites. So you of course know that as well. So what are we seeing with termites?
1: Well, I'm lucky enough to have a pesticide applicators license. So I uh, have a much deeper appreciation for uh, what I call Mother Nature's garbage disposal. Uh, We need termites to eat the fallen leaves and the sticks that come off the trees so that we don't experience things that are going on in California right now. Uh, It's part of Mother Nature's cleaning process. Unfortunately, when we started building houses out of those same dead tree products, we attracted them to our properties. Um, Termites typically always uh, well, the first place they love to 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 uh, build their nest, so to speak, is on what we call backfilled concrete slabs. So your front stoop, uh, your driveway area, and the reason for that is in con- the home construction process. There's quite a bit of construction debris that gets left behind and poured, uh, you know underneath of that concrete slab, which then produces perfect conditions. The concrete slab is gonna have moisture associated with it all the time from sweating. And then I have, you know, a cellulose product that's in the the decay mode, that is a buffet for termites. Uh, We don't help ourselves out as homeowners very frequently when we add mulch to our house it's it's a buffet for termites most mulch that you buy at a local big box hardware store is only going to have a chemical resistance for a few months and then when you add more mulch to old mulch you create a uh, a conducive condition for uh, wood destroying insects not just termites, but carpenter ants. They they do the same type of damage, they just use the material differently. Termites turn that wood into sugar and carpenter ants are using that wood to create a nest. But the destruction process is the same. And you know, it's about the education side. And, and you'll hear me consistently say, water, water, water control. It's, it all comes back to water and controlling the water because if you have dry conditions around your house, you won't have conditions for termites to wanna live around your house. Although, knowing, going through the studies, a termite will travel up to 300 yards away from their colony. So it's just a, about the pheromones that the, the the hunters, so to speak, leave behind to allow everybody else to follow them to that uh, buffet in your front yard of 10-year-old mulch that you continue to add to.
0: So, and as there, you know, when do you get into an inspection where you recommend, I mean, I know with, you know, um, I've seen houses where you take the drywall off and you could literally grab the two by fours Mm -hmm. with your hand and turn it into dust. I mean, at what point, because you're not seeing behind the drywall, at what point do you recommend that they have infrared imaging, you know, on certain walls?
1: Well, it's it's a very new product to our industry. I mean, I'm biased, but I would tell you everybody should have their home inspected annually. Um, You know, maintenance is the number one cause of failure in a home the lack of maintenance, the lack of service, the lack of changing your oil in your car engine. We wouldn't drive our car around 20,000 miles without changing the oil, but we seem to do that with our furnace and our uh, air compressor and our water heater and the products in our house. So it really comes down to the maintenance and understanding of what's gonna draw that concern or issue to your home and how to combat it before it ever happens. And a good home inspector will, educate you on that throughout the process. Hey, you know, extend your downspout away three or four feet so that the soil next to your house is dry. And maybe the termites will stay at that stump that of that dead tree that was cut down 20 years ago or grind that stump up so that it doesn't become a problem a couple years down the road. So it's all about the education side to controlling the insects. But like you said, the reality is if your house doesn't have termites, it will, because they're by design, uh, There to eat the two by four stud that's in your wall, sure. All right, so let's talk about decks because I Mm -hmm. see a lot
0: of times now where you know the inspectors are coming out and you know there's no flashing, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where the decks attached to the house. So, uh,
1: talk about that a little bit. So, I'm gonna first start off by saying if your deck wasn't built in the last four years, it's not built to today's standards and the reasoning behind that is we didn't really have deck standards until around 2014 Um, you know uncle joe would come over and build you a deck because you needed a deck not knowing that the frost freeze line in the state of maryland was 32 inches and if we didn't get that footer below there our deck was going to be wavy in two years Um, so what we you know what we do at us inspect is is we are Members of associations that provide continual education, not only how to build a deck, but the proper material that should be used when building a deck. Um, You know, in most cases, like I said, if the deck's more than four years old, it's not going. There's going to be issues that a home inspector is going to point out: flashing, um, a secondary uh, support post adjacent to the house. Uh, One of the most common things that we come across uh, on you know houses with cantilevers is the, the deck is attached directly to the band joist, which isn't a support portion of the house. It's just a band joist. So I think the statistics out there is um, 80% of decks that are currently in use are a safety concern uh, to the deck building industry. Samsung, um, you know, the hardware producers want to see galvanized steel hangers, not roof nails. And and toenailing is not acceptable anymore. You have to use some type of hardware in order to achieve a good, strong bond uh, to the material. So chances are the inspectors
0: are going to be looking at yeah. these decks if they haven't been built in the last four years, they're going to have a problem with it or recommend um, some type of safety correction.
1: Right. Yeah. And that goes not only on the structure side, but on the cosmetic side too. When composite material first came out in the uh, early 2000s, we installed it by screwing it down from the top. The whole time the manufacturer wanted you to install it from screwing it from the bottom up, not knowing that when we put that screw in there, come the first hard freeze and water expansion occurs, that crack goes from a, a fraction of an inch to three or four inches long. So it's about, again, going back to what the manufacturer recommends of uh, being the best practice for their product.
0: So the last two items we're going to talk about really uh, don't pertain to everybody, but let's just Mm -hmm. touch on them because I know that you guys, you know, cover it all. So let's Mm -hmm. kind of talk about wells and some of the concerns and, uh, you know, uh, what buyers should be looking out for.
1: With wells, the number one concern is the, the quality of the water. Again, the quality from a bacteria standpoint, which could be harmful to the individuals living in the house. But more importantly, the, the the pH, the acidity of the water can cause so much damage in your property from eroding your supply and drain pipes, if you live in an older home with, say, possible cast iron or, or copper drain pipes, uh, to your water heater fixtures, to the to the shower head fixtures. Um, you know, there is so much um, sediment and minerals in well water, it, it has to be filtered. Uh, it has to have, You know salt injections for for hard water purposes and chlorinator injections to kill bacteria and sulfur smells the rotten egg smell we smell when we start running that water that's a sulfur uh that is in there usually and you know there's uv lights for bacteria there's all sorts of ways uh to control water but i still see to this day houses that are drinking water directly out of the ground with no type of protection and eventually, their body's going to let them know when there's a bacterial issue with that water when they get sick. And, you know, it's recommended that you tush, test your well water annually, that you have a professional come out and actually put uh, a dipstick in it to check the pH balance, to, to take a sample and send it to a lab to have it checked for high bacteria or Legionella, you know, things that will make us sick. Um, on the back side of that, you have to deal with the septic system. Um, and you know they're kind of each in the same us inspect does not do well in septic we have a wonderful partner that we sub that out to who we trust tremendously have worked with for years who think they do a wonderful job and support our clients the same way that we do Um, and we leave that to the professional because like you said we're home inspectors Uh, i can tell you the functionality of how a a well and septic system works but i don't want to pull that cover and look down in there two or three times a day. I'd rather be on the other end flushing the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the big things you see with septic systems? Failing? Well, again, the lack of maintenance, you know, you're supposed to pump your septic. Well, And there, again, there's an argument about pumping septic systems. Some people say you never have to pe- pump your septic systems if the bacteria inside of it is doing its job and breaking down the solids. I live on well in septic. I have my septic system pumped every two years and with little kids there's cars there's boats there's airplanes there's things in there that shouldn't be in there which can cause clogs to your uh, baffle systems which will then lead to problems with leaching into the the drain fields from material that shouldn't be in there you know the the drain fields are for liquid not for solids and occasionally the baffling system will fail or the tank will become unlevel due to most of the time uh, water or improper installation Uh, I've seen situations, I had a house one time where they actually did an uh, addition to the property and used the the concrete septic system as a footer for a six by six post. And obviously that crack ended up cracking the tank. uh, There was a significant issue. They had to relocate the the entire septic system to accommodate the addition of the house, um, which, you know, the person that bought it, thank goodness we found it because that was a $50,000 problem if it wasn't caught potentially. You know, the septic system fails, the addition fails with it. So yeah, it's um, it's clogged baffles probably are the main thing, failed drain fields, just due from age. Um, there's a number of, uh, you know, minor concerns that go along with it, the height of uh, certain aspects when it comes to the septic system. But more importantly, you have multiple types of uh, septic systems, you know, available. You have your traditional, and then you have what the the bat technology, the best available technology, which is required if you live within a thousand feet of the water tide uh, here in Maryland, which is a completely different type of system altogether. And the fact that there's pumps and air injections that go into the the tanks that allow the bacteria to break down much quicker. Um, however, it costs money and when if your power goes out you can't flush your toilets and you can't use your septic system because it won't allow you to um, you know feed the system and the drain fields properly
0: yeah so there's your top 10 guys so you know <laughs> uh you know if you it, it, welcome to a home ownership so you know your a lot of it good. when you're buying a home uh you know an inspector like tim or uh any home inspector that you hire will introduce you to these things that your home may have, but these are the big items, and the reason we say they're the big items is because they're the most expensive, uh, right. most of the time. And they're, you know, uh, these ten items, a lot of the time, you can't do these yourself. You know, the common, right. you know, you you may be able to put a splash block at your, you know, downspout, but um, you know, dealing with major electrical and plumbing issues and things of that nature. I mean, these are definitely left for the experts uh, but I want to talk for a minute because a lot of times and when we when I earlier said that that being in this industry we deal with what we consider deal killers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> guys if you're listening to this and you're thinking about buying it's important to understand that um, this is home ownership. So you know a lot of times you're buying a home whether it's a couple years older 30 40 years older or older um, you have to understand that. The maintenance. I think what Tim really one of the key words that he has, you know, um, kind of slid in there is maintenance. You must mm-hmm. maintain a home, and I think that when you hire a, a good home inspector, they're going to be able to to kind of let you know whether it has had maintenance mm-hmm. or is it the one that has driven their car around for twenty thousand miles without changing the oil, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they changed it yesterday and you pull the dipstick out and it's clean. Well, a lot of times, you know, when you dig into these things, you can tell that there has not been periodic mm-hmm. maintenance or preventive maintenance. So, but I want you to understand that it doesn't mean that you don't go through necessarily with the purchase of the home. You have to obviously take this laundry list that your inspector may come up with and sit down and determine what are those big items that you must have or that are the deal killers, right? If you don't have this or have that, then you don't feel that you should move forward with the purchase. Uh, but you do need to save money, and you do need to have money to maintain your home. Um, but I want to talk for a minute about the seller side of things mm-hmm. because you know, um, and and we'll skip ahead because of time. There were some other things I want to talk about, but I hear all the time: Should I get a pre-listing inspection? And if you're selling a home, everybody has their own opinion on it. We're gonna hear Tim's opinion and then I'm gonna give
1: you mine. So Tim, should a seller get a pre-inspection? I believe so, absolutely. Uh, Statistics that were pulled directly off of the national real uh, Real estate website tell you that if you have a pre-inspection prior to listing your home that you're going to receive Around two percent higher in commission and sell the house twenty percent faster. Why is that? Is because a lot of the problems that we're going to find for the buyer we find on the front end, which gets repaired. And in a lot of instances, the 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 conversation is much different when I walk into a house and find ten items versus finding fifty items. Uh, like you said, Todd, maintenance for a home inspector is a key. And you know, my favorite homes are houses. You know, there's a difference between a home and a house in my world. And a house is something that you live in, that you you take care of. That's it's a long term And a home is typically a place that you just stay and sleep and eat and move on. Um, You know, my favorite houses to inspect are the the 30 year homeowner that you go down there and he has every tool categorized on the wall in the basement on his pegboard. I know I'm in for a heck of a good inspection because that gentleman most likely is taking care of the maintenance side of the home. Um, but, you know, from from a business industry standpoint, I understand why the real estate professional doesn't like that because it does open up, you know, Pandora's box. What if we find a $10,000 problem? What if we find mold in the attic? You know, um, so my opinion is it would help The whole process, it would speed the whole process up on a pre-listing, but I know you think a little bit different than I do.
0: (laughs) Well, let me just tell you how I think. So, you know, and guys, look, I'm not in total opposition of you getting a a pre-listing home inspection, but I want you to understand a couple of things. The buyers, they're not accepting that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you think you're going to do it in lieu of them getting a home inspection, it's simply not the case. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we wish, so it's like the bank, accepting another appraiser's appraisal. You can't say, well, you know, it's worth this amount of money because we just had it appraised. So they're going, the bank's going to have their own appraisal, just so will the buyer have their own home inspector that they hire come through and check it out. But here's some of the concerns from at least, you know, a licensing standpoint, Mm -hmm. or, you know, a lot of times what happens is if the agent is involved, you know, they have a a representation agreement with a seller, and then they're bringing in that home inspector, what happens is the things that are uncovered become what we call as material facts. Mm -hmm. So if you tell me that there's a defect in the home, then at that point, I have to say, well, now you have to fix it Mm -hmm. or we have to disclose it. Right. And then what happens is a lot of times people want to just fix it the best way, the Mm -hmm. most economical way that they possibly can. And a lot of times that's uncle Eddie or, Mm -hmm. you know, themselves, um, or just cover it over and things like that. So, you know, I always kind of, you know, want to go that one step further to say, okay, guys, if we're going to get a pre listing inspection, this is, we have to really make sure that we're doing the, um, you know, the, the proper job educating so that we don't get ourselves Mm -hmm. or our clients, worse yet, because, you know, that's where it all starts, right? The buyer gets in there, they realize something was covered up, and then boom, it's coming back. So we've got a couple minutes left here. Um, I want to just talk about, so at least, and I was speaking with a a real estate attorney earlier today, you know, a friend of mine, we were just kind of chit-chatting about some some current trends. And we started talking about this home inspection process and really um, what happens when a buyer buys the home, they had a home inspection and something breaks. And so my friend told me, he said, Todd, I field at least one of these calls every single day that they call up and say, hey, I bought the house. You know, I had a home inspection. The window is now leaking every time it rains and it's gonna cost $1,000 to fix it and we want the $1,000, help us out. Um, You know, what happens, because Tim, I know you guys, you said it's a snapshot in time, but what happens when you guys miss something?
1: Well, the process is pretty much, you know, similar across the board anywhere in the country. If we do an inspection and then we have a client call us and say, hey, you know, I have a leaking window or I have a leaking pipe that wasn't represented on the report. You know, we're gonna send that inspector back out or his manager or representative of the organization because we wanna see it. We wanna make sure that we can take any issue that we have as an organization and learn from it so that hopefully others won't make the same mistake. The reality is you know, in most areas, there's a limited liability for uh, ins- uh, home inspectors and that's the return of the fee of what was paid for the inspection. So, you know, if I do an inspection for $400 and I have a $10,000 miss, by law, I only owe you $400. And that's why it's so important to make sure when you pick your home inspector that you pick a company that's established, that stands by their work, that uh, has learned from their mistakes and supports their inspectors and the back-end product. So, you know, we want to make sure that our clients are happy, you know, the rule of thumb clients is always right, Um, but we wanna do it in a factual manner. And that's why we do a revisit to the property. We assess the situation. You know, as somebody that's involved in the process at the corporate level, There's been many a times where I receive photographs from an individual complaining about a a, a potential uh, issue and then I'll pull the home inspector's report and compare the two. And a perfect example of that is I had an incident um, a couple months ago where there was a property that was having electrical issues. And the homeowner contacted us six months after we had performed the inspection um, and asked, you know, for 2,500 bucks to have an upgrade to their electrical panel. Well, when they sent me the photograph, I noticed that the large pine tree that was in the photos of my home inspection was no longer present, and turns out that it had knocked down during a windstorm, had taken off the service mass to the house, which shorted something out in the electrical panel, and they did not hire a professional to reattach the service mass to the house, which then led to more internal issues to the property. And when I got that photograph and I pointed that out and got the whole story, then we understood we didn't do anything wrong. You know, Um, but if we do something wrong, we will stand by, a good home inspection company will stand by their product uh, and support the client and the real estate professional because inevitably we want, you know, the business to return. That's how we grow and develop wonderful relationships for an extended period of time.
0: And I think the big takeaway here, guys, and Tim, you did a great job. And as we wrap up here, uh, you know, we thank everybody for watching. And uh, certainly if you're watching this on YouTube, if you would hit subscribe, if you like this content and you want to hear more of it and hit that bell so that you get alerted when we post. Um, and we're going to make sure that Tim's contact information is in the show notes. Uh, the big takeaways here, guys, is really if you're a buyer, Make sure that you're active in hiring your home inspector. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, take those recommendations from your agent, but pick up the phone and call them. Let them know Mm -hmm. where you are in your phase of your purchase. If you're a first time buyer, you know, make sure that you're connecting and that you're liking what that inspector. You you get a good feel um, communicating with them. Make sure you're there. I mean, now that we're through COVID, um, you know, a lot of uh, home inspections went. Um, you know without the with the Mm -hmm. buyer I think we've learned a lot now and mask up or whatever but make sure that you're there because this is an educational Mm -hmm. process so it's really an introduction to your home to home ownership and you know as Tim and other professionals are introducing you to that home you should be taking notes and really understanding you know what it is that you're buying Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you're a seller understand that when these things you know when 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 you're presented with that list you know if there is one for you know negotiating repairs and things like that you, you have to be open-minded to it you know in a lot of cases whether you've been maintaining these homes or not and you know some of these things you know that you you really shouldn't be that surprised of and 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 really um understand that those items in that home inspection a lot of times i know here in maryland i won't speak for other states but they become material facts And as you if you decide that you're going to walk away from that deal and not fix things, you have to understand that a lot of times they have to be fixed. So, guys, thanks so much for watching tonight. Tim, thank you. Uh, In Maryland here, we can help you directly buy and sell. We're boutique brokerage here in Maryland. And uh, if you're anywhere in the country and you're watching, I can also help you uh, with my wonderful uh, broker network all over the country. You just reach out to me at TS for Todd Sachs at saxrealty.com and see you next week. Sax Realty, Maryland Broker, number six zero seven seven two zero, office number four four three three one eight four five one four. Equal housing opportunity.